0: and welcome to Women in Confidence with me, Vanessa Murphy, HR expert, confidence coach, and now podcaster. This podcast discusses all things to do with confidence in life and in work. And this is a podcast for women who want to learn what confidence is, how to obtain it, and how to maintain it, and learn how confidence can help you grow and flourish. Every week, I introduce you to amazing women who have interesting stories to tell about confidence. Through their stories, insights, hints and tips, you realise that a lack of self-belief or low self-esteem is common, and also very human. But by listening to them, you'll take away what they have done to show up confidently on the inside, as well as on the outside. Welcome to episode 19 of Women in Confidence. Before I introduce my guest this week, I want to say a big hello and thank you to my listeners and friends in the United States. The lovely people in the United States now download Women in Confidence more than anywhere else in the world. So I'm very grateful to you. And if you're new to this podcast, welcome and thanks for choosing to listen. My vision is for you to find something interesting and informative in each episode. And I select my guests on the basis that they not just have a breadth, but a depth of knowledge. They show up authentically and therefore their stories come from their heart. And they are all genuinely, and I really mean this, genuinely lovely people. I haven't had a guest on yet that hasn't made me smile, and I feel incredibly grateful to learn from them. So onto this week's show. My guest just happens to come from the US. So another hooray! Linda Oogelow is a speaking confidence coach and movement specialist with an uncommon approach to overcoming the fear of speaking. Formerly stricken with public speaking fear herself, she now helps entrepreneurs business owners and corporate leaders to transform their experience of speaking from dread to delight wherever they speak. So that's online, on stage, in the media or even in the meeting room. Linda holds a master's degree in expressive therapy and movement studies and has performed internationally for over three decades with the women's music group Libana as a singer, bassist, percussionist and principal dancer. She's hosted the TV show Women Inspired and is the author of a book of which we're about to hear more of. Linda, hello and welcome to Women in Confidence. Good to have you here.
1: Hello, Vanessa. So glad to be here.
0: And where are you coming from today? Where, where are you um, recording in the world
1: I am outside of Boston, Massachusetts in the United States.
0: Okay, so another person, I seem to be um, now attracting people who seem to be on the other side of the world to me. Um, So yeah, so I'm in uh, Melbourne, and it's the morning here. So it must be your afternoon, evening? Correct. Yeah, excellent. Well, welcome anyway. So launching straight into uh, the question about confidence,
1: what does confidence mean to you, Linda? For me, confidence is an experience of being in my body that feels grounded and centered. And on an emotional level, it's, it's about making space for me to be exactly where I am, not having to be or push myself to be somewhere I'm not.
0: And you said on an emotional level. Now- Emotions, a lot of people don't actually talk about emotions. It's, I feel people feel uncomfortable about emotions. So sort of clear or clarify with me, what do you mean on an emotional level?
1: I feel that at any moment in time, our emotions are reflecting our current experience. So we may feel tense or we might feel relaxed. We might feel fearful or we might feel excited. So, or we might have a sense of neutrality, but the the sense of confidence is, I would say it could be in a neutral state or leaning towards excitement because there's a, a sense of possibility there.
0: I love the word also grounded um, because it just feels so so right for me. It's, a right, it's the right word to use because I understand what it means and it's absolutely about having Almost concrete belief in yourself. I think mm-hmm. is that
1: is that your um, when you use the word grounded. Is how would you describe it? Well, I, I guess I am very somatic. That, you know I have a very heightened kinesthetic awareness. So and confidence is something I've spoken a lot about because I'm a speaking confidence coach and I've I've talked to people a lot. What does confidence feel like? Because I want them to get a tangible feeling in their body so they recognize it, they know where they're going for. And it's something that they can practice. Because when you're not feeling confident speaking, there's this sense of being ungrounded, which is, you know, the opposite of what you're saying. Physically, it's almost sometimes, you know, people describe, and I've had this experience myself earlier on of feeling like I'm not in my body, that my, like, all of a sudden I'm outside and I can't even, I don't even know where my feet or legs are. But when you're feeling confident, you're like inside your skin. And that sense of being, and that, that sense where you said being out of your body is
0: actually quite terrifying. And I guess then that perpetuates the lack of confidence because you can't control sort of what's going on outside your body. Yes. Yeah. It's almost like you're
1: unanchored. That's all right. Lost. I just had this image of being like lost at sea. You just don't know where you are because you're not inside your body or body is the gravity in which we connect with the earth.
0: And that feeling out being outside your body, I imagine for the people that you work with is heightened when it comes to speaking. Um, Absolutely. That Mm -hmm. public speaking. I mean, what, let's talk about your, what you do, uh, your business. And this is about a speaking confidence coach. Can you just sort of explain to people what it is that you do?
1: I work with people who are, I don't, they could be authors or entrepreneurs or executives or business professionals who want to feel more confident when they speak. They want to get over this feeling of nervousness or anxiety. When they are speaking, whether it's on stage or online or in meetings or on sales calls, or whatever, wherever it is that they are experiencing some level of insecurity that they would like to, just get rid of and instead feel this sense of ease and, and comfort.
0: And what is it about talking and speaking publicly? Because it's what you're, these people are doing. They're either speaking to big. Groups, people, or that through the or internet, small. Where, or small, or through the internet, where you actually don't actually know how many people are out there in many ways. And we'll come on to your TikTok shortly. But what is it about speaking that brings about such a
1: fear? It's my belief and understanding that the experiences that people have growing up last that may have like let them believe that or led them to this conclusion that was unsafe, that was somehow eroded their sense of confidence. Because as children, children come out pretty confident, you know, they love expressing themselves, they love making sounds, they love learning how to speak, they love attention. You know, kids thrive on attention. Look at me, look at me, you know, mommy, mommy, daddy, daddy, whatever it is, you know. And then it starts to go downhill when they are reprimanded for expressing themselves in a certain way. Maybe they're being too loud or maybe they're pressured to perform. Come on, speak up or say hello to Aunt Matilda or or, how much is seven times eight or what's the matter with you? you? You didn't learn that in school. What did they teach you in school? So all these comments that we get, let alone times that we may have been bullied or or shamed or rejected or or abused even have this lasting impression imprint on our neurophysiology that lets us know that it's not okay for us to speak up or express ourselves the way we do or to outshine others or take up space and so even though we find ways around it we find ways to to deal with the circumstances of our lives, there are going to be places that we feel comfortable speaking, but others that we don't. And it's just very unique to each of us, depending on the kinds of experiences that we've had, where we felt encouraged or discouraged.
0: And so all these memories build up then and and lead to this lack of confidence in speaking. How do you overcome some of that? Yeah. Years of you know, keep quiet in class, sit still, you know, all those sorts of things. Even, your, you know, your parents saying, shh, I'm on the phone or whatever it is. How do you overcome that?
1: You know, when we're little, the world seems like it happens to us. And when these things are lasting in, inside of us, when they become imprinted, it's because we didn't have the tools or the resource at, resources at the time to resolve them. But as adults, we do have the possibility to go back into those experiences, the memories and the stories and provide a new, a new way of helping our younger selves get to a place of resolution with those experiences. So whether it's a time that we felt like, you know, all the girls in seventh grade decided they weren't gonna talk to you, And, you know, you felt like, oh my gosh, no one wants to hear from me. Nobody likes me, you know, and that would make you feel like I don't want to speak up. Or that time that my parents, you know, yelled at me for my bad grades. Or maybe you were someone who got excellent grades, but you felt like if you didn't, you weren't valued. And so it makes it scary to do anything that where you may be less than competent And that your competency is assured, which speaking, which is because because it's so spontaneous, is never really assured. You can't memorize and practice every word that comes out of your mouth. From the time we wake up in the morning till the time we go to sleep, we're thinking on our feet. We are speaking impromptu. We have to provide a certain uh, landscape of positivity and encouragement to ourselves in order to feel okay. And somebody who is used to getting 99 or 100 on everything they do, it can be terrifying to think that their presentation was only a 96. That That's taking
0: sort of a, what they think other people would think of their presentation and then internalizing it and probably multiplying it. So the audience might think, well, that was brilliant. That was 100%. And yet they've internalized it. Oh, that was only 50. Yes. yes.
1: Yes, that's exactly right. And the the truth is is that there isn't just one type of experience that needs that we need to resolve. We do have those those actual experiences. We have messages that maybe not even our parents told us. Maybe we got it through the media or through watching movies or reading books that, you know, we we get ideas about how we're supposed to behave and what the rules are and But then there's also what we do internalize, just as you said, Vanessa. So things happen to us, but then we continue to perpetuate them in our own heads. So for instance, my sisters used to tell me, shut up, stupid, all the time. So in my mind, excuse me, my earphone just dropped. Sorry for that little clack, got excited there. In my mind, I used to have this repeated thought of, oh, that was stupid, Oh, I shouldn't have said that that was stupid because that was what was said in my family so I internalized that and I continued to say that until I realized I don't have to say that to myself and in fact by saying that I am bullying myself I'm I'm creating a sense of not non-safety by by my own doing and so a minute ago I was talking about needing to resolve the early experiences we had, but we also need to resolve the way in which which we speak to ourselves. Because you may have a desire to, to become confident, a desire to, let's say, if you're an entrepreneur, to build your business, or if you're working in corporate, a desire to be a leader in your company. But if you have this other part of you that is Telling you, you're not good enough, you don't deserve to be here. It's kind of like having someone on the opposite team pushing you back in the other direction, at, towards the, you know, a different a different goal. What you want is all of all parts of you to be facing in the same direction, going to the same goal. And so it's essential that we learn how to incorporate reincorporate that critical voice so that voice becomes a staunch ally it becomes a member a team player and with that I mean the critical voice or the inner
0: voice has got a lot to answer for um it, it's about shifting it to be like you say your ally your friend or just even acknowledging it's there and saying well I hear you but today
1: I'm going to silence you I mean yeah how- you know I I I, I want to push back against that okay and I, I get it. I've used it. It's helpful. But I actually feel that that voice, just like fear, like you can say, I'm going to push against the fear. I'm not going to let the fear get in my way. I'm going to just white knuckle my way. What I have found that you can push through the fear, but it doesn't get rid of the fear. It suppresses it, but it's always there. But if you allow the fear to be a messenger saying, okay, the fear is not some random emotion without a cause. It's actually pointing to these past experiences that have been, that are looking to be healed. I feel the same way with the inner critic. The inner critic is not there naturally. It's a wounded part of ourselves and if we use it to point to times that it, it was wounded itself, it can actually be healed. That's not to say that I never hear a mean thought inside my head. I, I do sometimes. But I also understand that that voice is actually trying to be a team player. Sometimes it just forgets how to be kind. But if I remind it, okay, I hear what you're saying, but can you say it in a nicer way? And also, can you help me out here? Because I feel that it's that part of us that does discern. It's that part of us that evaluates, that helps us navigate life in, in a way that we can win and, it, and be confident. It wants the same things that we want, but it acts out of fear. So that's why I feel like let's heal the inner critic. Let's not just quiet its voice. Let's actually heal it so we, we can become integrated so are you saying that
0: if if I have a fear and it's fear is it's not only a voice it's a physical feeling? Are you saying work with it rather than just ignore it or eliminate it?
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's like okay, if that fear is living in your body, what is it trying to say? What is the message? So let's say I'm working with someone who is afraid of speaking because that's what I do all the time, <laughs> and someone might say it's saying. I'm going to be judged. And then we say, okay, well, where have you felt judged in your life? Well, nothing I said was ever good enough for my father. Or my mom always told me, I can't believe you don't know that already. Or, I mean, school? I think most of us have some kind of trauma from school on some level. You know, we many of us come out unscathed. They're the lucky ones, but so many people felt Like they were either made to feel narrow who they were in order to fit in, or they were evaluated on everything that they did and feel worried about making mistakes. Because in school, we get graded the highest for making the fewest mistakes. And then you get out into the real world and you hear things like, oh, mistakes are good. That's how we learn. And you go, well, wait, 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 wait. That doesn't fit in with what I was taught.
0: Yeah, the education system. I've often thought about this and this is sort of going off piece a little bit for the, is it comes at a strange time in the, the life cycle of a, of a human in the fact that when they're younger, they are naturally creative and noisy. And then we put them into an environment that doesn't want that. And yet that's the the perfect opportunity in their life to be that, because that's what they naturally are. And yet we constrain them into uniforms and, like you say, grades and sitting in assemblies, super quiet and all this strange stuff. But and now you've explained it. It will explain a lot of the reasons why people do lack confidence when they're older. I mean, not just about speaking, but just generally, because they come out into a construct that they've just
1: been told otherwise, and it it's confusing yes it is confusing you know because as you said they're so they're so freely self-expressive and suddenly they're told don't express yourself sit quietly follow the rules be the same like everybody else so here we're told to blend in but then when we grow up they're saying stand out
0: (laughs) be different
1: be different be yourself it's like what do you mean be myself so just going back
0: to um speaking and confidence coaching And about you, actually, Linda,
1: have you always been confident at speaking? Not at all. Tell me more. Not at all. And, you know, the funny thing is I didn't really think much about it. I didn't feel – I mean, I knew I had a lot of anxiety speaking. So, like, in grad school was the first time that I became really aware of it. I was studying movement therapy and – Really fell in love with a particular process called authentic movement. And my advisor said, you know, Linda, why don't you give a talk to the different department heads in the expressive arts therapy department so they can learn about this? Because what you're talking about brings in elements of art and, and writing and movement and speaking. And, and I said, wow, that's, that sounds really important. <laughs> And I'm flattered, okay let's do it. And I never had any experience creating a talk, I mean in school I'm sure I gave some kind of presentation or I fumbled through some kind of presentation, but I don't remember it. But in grad school I had this opportunity, I did not really plan, I probably put together some bullet points, but as the people started to enter into that room I felt, completely panicked and it was as if a vacuum cleaner came in and vacuumed out all the saliva in my mouth. It was bone dry and I opened my mouth to speak and not a word came out. Literally not a sound. I stood there opening and closing my mouth like a fish and I didn't know what to do. I didn't have any water with me, I, I, I just stood there frozen. And finally my advisor leaned forward and said, whispered, Linda, would you like a glass of water? And I nodded because I couldn't even say anything. So the water gave me back my sound, but I was mortified. I fumbled through it and I decided I would never speak again in public. And I did it for about a decade. And then about 10 years later or so, my sister adopted a couple of children not together, but one at a time, as infants, and she was feeding them a formula made with raw milk that she put together herself. And I was intrigued and I read about raw milk and I went, oh my God, this is amazing. How come we don't have raw milk for us? I want raw milk. And I called throughout this my state of Massachusetts to the different dairies and everyone said, I'm sorry, it's illegal, I can't sell it to you. And I must have gotten obsessed and I, I called the, the State Department of Health and they yelled at me like how can I even ask about like raw milk it's dangerous and you know we'll never have it and I'll run it out of you know not allowed. And I was at the point in my life where I was very involved with organic gardening and I went to the Organic Farming Association called them up I said you know I really really want raw milk. and I think it would be a great fit for your organization because you have all these organic dairies and can can you talk to, you know, the dairy farmers? And she said, well, this is what we'll do, Linda. Our summer conference is coming up. About 1200 people will be there. Just, you know, write write a page and you can speak before the keynote speaker. Exactly, I (laughs) like my mouth fell open. I mean, I just remembered the look of pity on people's faces from grad school staring at me. And I said to, her name was Julie. I said, Julie, can you do it for me? And she said, no, this is, you have the passion, you have the information, just write a sheet, read from it, you'll be fine. So that's how I found myself shaking like a leaf before these 1200 people. And I read it and they applauded for me. And the long story short is a committee was formed and now we have 23 dairies that are licensed to sell raw milk in the state. So from that, I knew how important it was to speak, the impact that it could make. I, I spoke for 90 seconds and it led to this. Now I don't even drink milk anymore, but I consider that one of my life's contributions to my, you know, my community. You must be so grateful for, um, to Julie for saying
0: no and that you had to do it. Because it yes. it seems to have, well, it has transformed your entire life and now it's your business.
1: Well, actually, no, because it didn't okay. get rid of my fear. Uh, okay. What it showed me was how important and impactful it was and that I could get through it and not die. So from that point on, I was willing to speak but I was nervous to speak. Mm. I was going to say, and how how have you shifted your fear then, or does yeah, it still exist? It, it, no, no, it doesn't at all. So what ha- what happened was another ten years later, I became an online entrepreneur. I decided I wanted to be a coach, so I took a course in coaching. I made a website, and I realized, okay, nobody knows about me. I've got to get out there. So I started to take video classes, how to make videos. This was back in 2015. And my video mentor said, you know what, there's this brand new app out there, a whole platform. It's called live streaming. And the app is called Periscope. You should get on it. You can, people are like, building these great followings on it by broadcasting every single day. And I thought, you know, I've always been late to everything. I'm going to do this, I'm going to be an early adopter. So I got on Periscope, I said, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this every day. And it was terrifying because people showed up from everywhere in the world, you could see on your screen from India, from France, from Australia, from California. And it's like, oh my God. And talk about leaving my body. I definitely left my body. I'd like force myself to say something coherent and then like quickly get off. And after about a week of this, I reached out to my mentor and I said, uh, do you get scared? I'm terrified. And she said, oh, Linda, that happens to everyone. But don't worry, it takes about 75 days to adjust. (laughs) I thought, 75 days? Okay, that's not what I was hoping to hear. But I'm going to pull it together and I'm going to do it. So I pulled it together every day. I'd spend a half an hour doing jumping jacks and kicks and punches and meditation and affirmations and power poses and holding crystals and i looked up on google how to get over your fear and i did all these reframing that fear use your fear as fuel and it, don't think of yourself think of your audience and all these things just do it so i would just do it in fact i, I even joined a periscope Female squad of periscopers that had the hashtag do it scared. So we did it scared every day and we'd support each other. And then I got to day 75 and my heart was still racing. And I thought, what is wrong with me? I would have thought that after 75 days of broadcasting, I'd feel calm, I'd feel confident. I'd be relaxed, but I wasn't. And I thought, this isn't okay. I'm showing up, but how much longer can I show up? And besides which, I just don't want to feel this every day. I want to be able to get on and get off and just have it be normal. So I decided I was going to do whatever I could to get rid of it. and. So I sat down, I made a list of all the techniques that I knew because I had a master's degree in expressive therapies. I had all these these tools for personal growth. I had a long list in front of me of things that I like to do. I just never realized I, I needed to do them to help me. So the first thing I did was what I described earlier. I felt inside my body and said, okay, what is this fear? trying to tell me, what is this fear? And what came back to me was, I'm gonna be attacked. And I thought, okay, where have I been attacked? And immediately I had the memory of my two older sisters attacking me whenever mom put me in the center of attention because I was the goody-goody and they were naughty. And she would say, why can't you girls be more like Linda? And as soon as she was out of the room, they would charge, kick me in the shins and call me stupid and tell me to shut up, all that stuff. And then I realized, oh my God, of course I don't feel comfortable because I learned being the center of attention was dangerous. Every time I got put in the center of attention, I got attacked. And not only that, I felt like I lost the love of my sisters. And then I thought, wow, I wonder if I still feel afraid that I would lose their love if I got a lot of attention now. Because we've been friends for years. I thought, oh, that's from such a long time ago. But you know what? I still felt that way. I thought, I really am afraid that if I succeed in my work, in my career, if I get too much attention, they're not going to love me. And I thought, oh boy, I've got work to do here. And so then I realized, okay, let's get to this. I had all these tools. I had emotional freedom technique, tapping. Some people might know that. I had different tools for forgiveness, creative visualization, love to use movement and journaling. And I did all these things, not just for that experience, but I started to comb through my my past for that time in seventh grade when I was rejected by all the girls and they said, nobody talked to Linda or, or comments that had been made when my mom said an A minus, why not an A plus or pressure to perform when I was a little kid in front of all my, my parents, friends on the piano, and I didn't feel ready. And I was mortified or any of these things. I just, anything I could remember, I pulled up and I Did something with it. I forgave myself. I forgave them. I tapped on it. I, I moved out my feelings. I journaled about it, and you know, within a week, that beating heart, that racing heart, disappeared.
0: Amazing that you said in a week, because I was going to ask you because how long did that take? But you've answered it already. A week
1: seems. A week. Was it intense?
0: Yeah, because that's really it was.
1: Yeah, it was. I I was up in the nighttime for several hours like okay what else oh yeah that teacher in college or my boyfriend in high school or that kid you know it was like I kept digging out whatever I could remember because I thought I don't want to leave a stone unturned here I just want I want out of this this nervous feeling that has been eating up my my energy because it is like Having having nerves is like having uh, your computer running slow because there's some apps running in the background and it's eating up the battery and and the bandwidth.
0: Brought out lots there, and I've got lots of questions to ask. But the one thing I want to go back to is something you said a while ago. And you said you're always late to everything. And I, and my view of you, Linda, is absolutely not. If anything, you're a pioneer in many ways because you've talked about online coaching. I think way before anybody was really in that space. And also going to things like
1: Periscope, which I don't think even exists anymore. I, I don't know. No, it doesn't. It, it, I think uh, just about a year ago, it closed. Right. Yeah. So I,
0: I don't get the impression you're late at all. I'd say, wow, you know, you saw these opportunities and, and took some action on it. So I, that's just my impression of you.
1: Yes. Well, then I w- what I'll clarify is up to that point, I felt like I was late to the game.
0: <laughs> Let's talk about being absolutely early adopter on TikTok and your your TikTok account, which I follow and I watch. And how did you get into TikTok? Because to my kids, they're like, oh, my Lord, it's a cringe that my mum's on, on TikTok. It seems like it's the space where you just go and you have a little bit of fun. But you've managed to create a
1: business out of it. Tell me it more about that. I, I don't know if I would say it is a business. Because when I when you say that, I think of, oh, I monetize my channel. And I think some people do that. I have no idea what that, how even to go about that. What I have used it for is a way to share my content with people and to actually do some coaching there. And it's also been a way for people to find me so that they then come to my, my website. They learn about me. They become my client. They buy my book, delight in the limelight, or they join one of my programs. So it has been, uh, it, it's been an amazing platform. Now, how did I find it? It was a, I know exactly what it was. This woman, Helena Bowen, who is a TED Talk coach. She helps people write their TED Talks. Mm -hmm. She's excellent. And I heard her speak, or she had a post about how she realized that this very same post she puts up on TikTok and Instagram had completely different viewership. That whatever she put up on TikTok had thousands of views. Whatever she put up on Instagram had 50 or a couple of hundred and that she encourages people to check out TikTok. And it was just at the time that I was finishing the writing of my book. So while I was writing my book, I for, I hardly was on any social media. I was on Facebook cause that's where people my age hang out. <laughs> but I, I hadn't been on, I had built, Instagram following a few years earlier but I hadn't been on Instagram I just felt overwhelmed by the all the intensity of what it is to write a book that is not just a a business card but a book that I was hoping that people would want to read so I put a lot a lot of work into it so I had promised to myself that once I was finished with the editing process that I would get back on social media. I mean, if I would need to. And when I saw Helena Bowen's post about TikTok, I said, okay, I'm going to check it out. I'm just going to try it out. And my way of doing things is I like to research things first. So I I got onto YouTube and I looked up how to start a TikTok channel and I learned not just the, the technical parts of it, but the strategy of it. And, and I thought, okay, it's recommending that I pull together like five videos to begin with because the TikTok algorithm, at least at that time, a year ago, was such that it would give you a leg up. A newcomer would get a little extra boost because they wanted you to do well. That was what this person was saying. So I thought, okay, I'm going to be ready to go with like five five posts. And I put the first one out and I was astonished. I got over 100 million views on my very first video. Now that same video has 250,000 views. Wait, what did I say? 100 million? Not 100 million. 100,000 views it got. But still, 100,000 so views... Don't... I had never gotten a hundred thousand views on, on anything that I had posted on any platform throughout time. So I was, I was blown away by that. And not just that, but I also got over a hundred comments, like in one day, I thought, this is amazing. So then I, I just continued on from there. Now it's interesting. I am not consistent. I'm terrible about consistency. I, like that first week, I did not do boom, boom, boom with my first five videos. It just didn't work out. I don't remember what happened, but it it wasn't that consistent. But in spite of my inconsistency, I now have a following of 165,000 followers. I have two videos that have surpassed a million views I have one that's a bit over a million another one that has three and a half million views 3,000 comments or maybe 4,000 comments now I haven't even gone through them all
0: yeah I mean I've looked at your videos and I came across it's 3.6 million and I'm probably one of those people who's watched it so 3.6 million views yeah and do I mean does that, that must boost your confidence to see that many views
1: and you say thousands of comments it's it what it is an incredible booster. And I, to be totally honest, it freaked me out. And this is why it's like we want that visibility, but everything we do comes with responsibility. And I was not repair, prepared for the responsibility that came along with it. And that's why I haven't even gone through all the comments yet. I just haven't had the capacity to. Mm. So I feel like it's important as we dream of becoming bigger, of taking the next level, getting to the next level in our influence, in our leadership, that we also at the same time prepare the foundation so that we have the capacity to take it on. So I love that, I love that popularity not so much that it, I mean, yes, it is an ego boost. I'm not going to lie. It makes me feel great. But even more, it makes me, it gives me evidence that what I'm sharing is speaking to people. And that's what I'm about. At this point in my life, I'm looking to leave a legacy. I'm looking to make an impact on society, on people in society to help them feel better in their life experience. And so many people do struggle with with speaking confidence. And I feel like I'm offering something that is not being spoken about enough. Can we talk about your book now?
0: And I, we can see it behind you. So it's Delight in the Limelight. And you said it put an enormous amount of effort, I think you said, into it. And I think that's reassuring that it's actually a piece that of work that you are incredibly proud of. And it is absolutely you and you know your skill and your expertise can you tell everybody what the the book is about give us a little sort of brief synopsis
1: it's called delight in the limelight overcome your fear of being seen and realize your dreams because my feeling is that when we are afraid to speak and express ourselves we are also we also keep ourselves from seeing the possibility of what we can do and having the sense of confidence and hope that we can actually achieve it. That was my experience. I feel like that's the experience of, of the people who I work with. What it's about is, well, you know, as I was writing the book, I knew exactly what the first half of the book would be about. It would be about revealing and healing. It would be that that piece of taking inventory from our past and and learning how to resolve those things. Because a lot of people, some people may not have any idea what happened to them. I I just feel afraid. I don't know where it's from. Other people say, I know exactly where it's from, but I have no idea what to do with it. So that is the first half of the book. Then the center of the book is about restoring a sense of safety, which has a lot to do with the safety in our own head and how to create safety in our environment. So how do we, how do we, look to filter the kind of experiences that are coming in, but also how do we proactively create safe spaces that we feel comfortable being in because we don't have to just be passive players in our life. We can, we can create the rules of our our lives by, by providing them for the people who are around us. And then we can play in that space together. And then the third section is about repatterning our habits. So, we have more confidence. And that is about how we feel physically, whether relax, how we breathe, how we use our voice, repatterning the, the way we do think about speaking, because we may have some ideas that we picked up along the way that really aren't helpful or even true or necessary. And then that also, I, I wrapped into that strategies and tips for memorizing and speaking extemporaneously and how do you prepare yourself when you know you're going to have to get on a podcast or or do a talk or have a meeting how do you what are the things that you can do so that you do feel grounded and centered and focused and and relaxed
0: Mm, sounds like an amazingly practical you can read it and practice some of the things. Can you share one thing with us, Linda, that you would say to people who are listening that if they are doing some speaking, whether that, well, in, ever, in any format, what's
1: with the one piece you can say, well, just try this. My favorite thing, and I I put it up front in the book because I knew that when people pick up the book, they want something like immediately that they can do. And so I, I have it, I think it's chapter two, it might be even like chapter two, right up front. It's mental rehearsal. now you may have heard of it because Olympic athletes use it. All kinds of athletes use it nowadays. Musicians use it. It's, it's one of the things that anyone who is looking to perform at the top of their game will utilize. And it's a very simple principle that is putting yourself in a state of relaxation. And from that place of calm and ease in your body, you visualize seeing yourself perform just the way you want to. It's not about performing the words, but the experience. So you see yourself calm and relaxed or in the flow or or dynamic or funny or surprising, however it is that you want to see yourself. You envision yourself being that way, feeling that way, looking at the outcome and how you feel afterwards, how you even feel going up to it. You can put into that visualization, anything you want in order to play out how you want it to go. And by doing that, you're actually pre-paving that to happen. You can do it for a meeting that you have a little anxiety about. You can do it for a talk. You can do it for a podcast. You can do it for a networking event. Like if you're afraid of like that time in the networking when it's everyone's going around and they're sharing an introduction of what they're who they are, and so many people get up. Mm. I do too. I used to get very very anxious there. So whatever you're doing, you can apply this this practice of mm. mental rehearsal or visualization.
0: Well, thanks for sharing that with us, and and certainly it's something I do now. Absolutely, I rehearse. Maybe not the, these podcasts, but certainly if I have to do a presentation or a, a talk or anything, I absolutely do a mental rehearsal. How can people find you, Linda? Because you're on many channels and you've
1: got lots to offer. How can people find you? Well, I'd love to continue the conversation with people. And what they can do is if they want to try out this, this mental rehearsal, I actually have an, a speaker empowerment kit. That includes a mental rehearsal for speaking in person and one for speaking on camera, as well as a list of 61 powerful thoughts that you can read to kind of like swap out the thoughts that you're thinking for these more positive thoughts. And that is a free download that people can get at empowermentkit.me. And that will bring you directly to the page where you can download that. And um, otherwise, my name, Linda Ugalow, U-G-E-L-O-W. That's my name on every platform. I'll put all those details in the show
0: notes so people can find you. And I'll put all the links again. So if people say, I want, want to know a bit more about Linda and what she's got to offer, it sounds brilliant. People can click on that link and they can go straight to uh, your site or the, the um, empowerment kit Right. Linda, thank you so much for being on the show. We've been talking now for about 40 minutes. It goes so quickly. And thank you so much for being on and and, um, sharing all your your history and your background, your advice and your expertise and, and also the bit about mental rehearsal at the end. So thank you very much for being on.
1: I appreciate coming on, Vanessa. Thanks.
0: Thank you so much for listening to Women in Confidence, and I hope you enjoyed it. If you did, then please like it, share it, comment on it. And if you want to, sponsor it. If you'd like to take part in my podcast or know somebody who would make a perfect guest, then please email me on contact at vanessa-murphy.com. That's contact at vanessa-murphy.com. Until next time.